invite you to open up to John chapter 14. President Joe Biden is the only, only the second Roman Catholic president that this nation has ever had. The other being President Kennedy back in, in the 60s. As a, a Roman Catholic, President Biden is supposed to submit to the official teaching of his church, uh, really in all things, uh, but especially pertaining to abortion. Uh, and in, in the early uh, portion of his political career, he was a pro-life Democrat, uh, which, which are now uh, on the endangered species list if they are not already uh, extinct. But now Biden changed his position leading up to the, the 2020 uh, election cycle, and he's very much pro-abortion and doing all that he can to make abortion on demand as available as possible. And while he was campaigning during that 2020 election cycle, he, he, he made a trip into South Carolina, and there was a priest there uh, who denied him communion because of his stance on abortion. Uh, and yet, right now, Biden, when he goes to his local diocese, uh, where he attends weekly, he is permitted to partake of uh, communion there by that local priest. Uh, the Archbishop of Philadelphia, Charles uh, Chaput, uh, has said outwardly, uh, spoken outwardly against President Biden, saying that he should be barred from communion entirely. And this is what he said, uh, for uh, creating the impression that the moral laws of the church are optional. Nancy Pelosi, who served as the Speaker of the House of Representatives uh, up until a few weeks ago, uh, has really done the, the same thing. And the, the Archbishop of San Francisco has publicly said she is barred from partaking of communion there and in his uh, diocese because of her pro-abortion position. And, and now we would reject uh, the Roman Catholic teaching concerning communion and, and many, many other things that are uh, unbiblical within uh, that church. And it is easy for us as, as Protestants and as evangelicals uh, to look upon the inconsistency and the, the hypocrisy of the, the so-called faith of President Biden and former Speaker Pelosi. It's easy to, to chide them and to rebuke them, but but there are many, many Protestants and evangelicals who do the same. There are so many who do exactly what Archbishop uh, Chaput condemned President Biden for doing, for treating the moral laws, not necessarily of the, the Roman Catholic Church, but more importantly of the Bible, uh, as if they are optional. As if we can go along a buffet line and, and pick which ones we want to obey and which ones we will let, let go and pass by. And there are many who, who strive to divide their lives into nice, neat compartments, only keeping Jesus in some of those compartments. Or like a toddler at the dinner table, trying to keep different foods from touching each other on their plate, right? I don't want the, the food to mix. But is that really possible? Can we compartmentalize our life? And does Jesus even give us that option? Do we have the option of obedience or disobedience if we are followers of Christ? As we're studying through the upper room discourse here in John 13 through 16, Jesus is giving a final message to the 11 disciples. Judas is gone, and now he's speaking to the 11 who are faithful. And he's going to, to make it clear his expectations for them moving forward. He's going to be calling them to faith. We saw that in the first 14 verses 
of John chapter 14. He repeatedly called them to trust in him, to believe in him, and he outlined the, the results of what would happen if they trusted in him as, they, as he is commanding them to. Now, as we, we get to verse 15, really through 26, there's going to be a different emphasis. Verses 1 through 14 were upon faith. Uh, 15 through 26, the emphasis is going to be upon love and obedience and upon being empowered by the indwelling Spirit, whom Jesus is going to send once he departs. And these next words of Jesus are going to have a profound effect upon those disciples. Those 11 disciples who are hearing this now, this is going to make a deep impact upon them, especially the author of this gospel, because what Jesus is going to to lay out uh, in the next few verses is going to be echoed uh, in the first letter of the Apostle John. Uh, What Jesus is going to to summarize and say here, John is going to echo in that epistle, and he's going to reiterate everything that is said. But as Jesus prepares these 11 disciples for his departure, he's going to challenge them to place their faith in him and to obey all that he has commanded, to trust him and obey him. And as we study these verses today, we're going to see That Jesus did not give his disciples that option to disobey. Instead, he gave them the obligation of obedience. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to what I'm referring here in this sermon. You are called to a holistic faith in which you submit all of your life, every room in the house, every nook and cranny, every moment of every day, you are called to submit that to the Lordship of Christ. But what characterizes this kind of holistic faith? We're going to look at one single verse this morning. John chapter 14, verse 15. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. As we study that verse, we're going to see three characteristics of a holy and of a holistic faith. But before we dive into those three characteristics, I want to pause and pray. Almighty God, you know each of our hearts here this morning. And you know that there is a a mixture, an impure mixture within each of us of love for you of obedience towards you, and also a mixture of disobedience towards you. Father, we pray that you, by the power of your word and the light of your spirit, that you would show us this morning those inconsistencies and that you would help us to forsake them. That you would use your word now to make us more and more like your son. Give us eyes to see and to behold wonderful things from your word. Give us the strength to apply the truth of your word to our lives. Being willing to radically amputate and forsake anything that is not honoring to you. But now as we study, may you bless the proclamation of your word. May it glorify you and may it build us up. We ask in the name of your son and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to look at these, at these three characteristics of a holistic faith. And the first 
is going to be that a holistic faith is properly connected. If you were going to pull this out from the verse, I would say it's just in that first little word, if. Because that first little word is going to show us that this is a conditional clause. That there is an implication of a then later on in the verse. It's not clearly stated, uh, but really the the if that is stated here is going to introduce a, a clause. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. And then the thought continues onward from there into verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be with you. That little if controls the grammar of the next three verses. Shows what will take place if we love Christ. Uh, and that idea introduced in, here in verse 15 is going to carry forward even into through verse 21. It's a very important conditional clause here. And this conditional clause is also going to build connections with the surrounding verses. If you, if you think back to last week or look up just a couple verses, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus promised, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That is a profound promise. And Jesus follows it up with a, a, a connection How is he going to to answer all of our prayers that are according to his purpose, his person, and his perfections? Well, if we love him. If we love him, there's also going to be a connection to obedience to him. And obedience to him is going to be connected with the spirit whom he is going to send. And that's going to be the topic for next week in verses 16, 17, and beyond. All of these things are interrelated and dependent upon one another. And all of these same threads that we see here are going to be woven together by the Apostle John in his first letter. I said over and over again, if you keep your finger here, turn with me over to that first letter of John, chapter 3. Beginning in verse 22, listen to how many parallels there are in these verses. 1 John three twenty-two. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he gave a commandment to us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he gave us. The Apostle John was so deeply and profoundly impacted by this night with Jesus before he was arrested and crucified that that he's reiterating everything that he learned that night in his own writings years and years later. It affected him in a profound way. And what the Apostle John is going to record for us here in the words of Christ and what he's going to echo in his own letter later on is that we are called to have a holistic faith. That we must have a faith that builds all of the right connections within our life. That we are not to to disconnect uh, what we know about Christ from what we obey. 
but we have to connect the head, the heart, and the hands. What we know, we must believe in our hearts and that we must obey with our hands and live out with our lives. That if you truly believe in Christ, you must submit your attitudes, your affections, and your actions to him. You can't partition any of those and separate them from obedience to Christ. Back in 2011, at the royal wedding between Kate Middleton and Prince William, Kate Middleton decided that she would intentionally leave out a certain word from her vows to her husband. You know that word that was left out? Obey. She would not promise to obey Prince William. And in that, she was following in the footsteps of Prince William's mother, Lady Diana, who married Prince Charles 30 years prior. There's the temptation for us to do something like that. To say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be connected to you. But that word is really hard. I'm not sure I want to obey. But as Christians, we can never do that. And any attempts to do that reveal something profound going on in our hearts. We are not worshiping Jesus as we ought to. Really, what is being established here in this verse, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, is a a profound connection between love and obedience. And if you just think about this logically, what are the options regarding these two concepts? Well, the first option is you can have no love and no obedience to Christ. And that leads straight to judgment. There are many, many in the world who don't love Jesus and they will not obey him. And the Bible says all who do not look to Christ in faith, they are in rebellion against God. And they are even in greater rebellion because they are refusing the grace of God that has been uh, sent to us in the person of his son. First option, no love for Christ, no obedience to Christ. A second option would be love without obedience. And sometimes this is just the result of a weak faith. We see this even earlier in John chapter 13 with the apostle Peter. What did Peter say that he was willing to do? Jesus, I love you. I'm willing to follow you to to the death. And Jesus says, no. Peter is willing. He has a love for Christ, but it's a weak faith. He's not willing, fully ready to obey as he ought to. So love without obedience ultimately will lead to discipline. It will lead to the Lord working in our lives and showing us uh, the weakness of our faith and where we need to grow in obedience to him. There's another option. We, We can also attempt to obey Christ without any love for him. And there's a couple different options of what this could lead to. It might be similar to the second option. It might be that we have a weak faith and that that we uh, need the discipline of God in our hearts and in our lives. And you can think of this uh, as the the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation. They had left their first love. They were still walking in obedience. They were still zealous for God's word, but they didn't have the love for Christ that they once had. So it led to their discipline, not the full removal of the church, but the discipline. But this 
attempt at obedience without love, I would say more often than not, is going to lead to judgment. You can think of this as the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. If you turn with me over to Luke 15. The older brother, when, when his younger brother returns and the father is rejoicing and, and the father sends a servant out into the field to get the, his older son and to bring him in so that he can celebrate that his younger brother has been returned into the family. Look at how the older brother responds. Luke 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And summoning one of the servants, he began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not wanting to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you. And never have I neglected a command of yours. And yet never have you given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Child, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive and was lost and has been found. The the amazing part of this parable, it's a story about two sons. One who who goes away and returns, who, who demonstrated a hatred for his father by demanding his inheritance and then going and squandering it. But this second son communicates the same hatred and same enmity for his own father. He says, I've been obeying you this whole time and you haven't blessed me. There is an obedience by this older brother, but there is no love for the father. He only wants what the father may provide, but there's no affection. You can think also of the Apostle Paul's declaration in 1 Corinthians 16, 22 unfamiliar with it, it is a sobering statement. He ends this letter to the Corinthians with this statement. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Think about that. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. That, that's the same declaration that the Apostle Paul made in Galatians when he said, if anybody preaches to you another gospel... Let him be accursed. But here, if you do not have a love for Jesus, even if you're, you're going through the motions, right? many of us can go through the motions, but that is not the same thing as having a love and affection for Christ. So these, talking through four logical options of this connection between love and obedience. You can have no love and no obedience. You can have love without obedience. You can have obedience without love. None of those is as it should be. What we ought to have is love with obedience. That is what Jesus is ordaining and commanding of his disciples here. This verse establishes not only a correlation between love and obedience, but a causation. That if you love Jesus, what will happen? You will obey him. 
And a Christian will obey out of a joyful love for our Savior. Out of a love for Christ, we will obey him. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Where it is, it is a joy to submit our lives to Jesus. The, the commands that he gives feel like bonds, feel like fetters, feel like enslavement to the world. Psalm 2. But the commands and the wisdom of Jesus that are given to us are, are light, not burdensome. We joyfully submit to them. Jesus pulls all of this together later on in this same upper room discourse in John chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. It says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That that is the result of obeying Jesus. Out of a love for him, we get joy. That's what should motivate us. That is what a holistic faith looks like. And you can't disassemble it. You can't separate out faith from repentance. You can't separate out believing in Christ and following after Christ. You can't separate love for Christ uh, from obedience to Christ. You can't separate his saving grace from his sanctifying purpose. You cannot disconnect the head, the heart, and the hands. If you want Christ as Savior, he must also be Lord. You must be willing to obey. There cannot be any areas of hypocrisy. You cannot keep Jesus sequestered into just a couple of rooms in your life. You must give him full access. There are no locked doors and no hidden rooms. You submit everything to him. What he has commanded, you must be willing to obey. This is the first characteristic of a holy and of a holistic faith. That it is properly connected to every area and there are no disconnections in your life. Secondly, a holistic faith is going to be propelled by love. As I already mentioned, in these verses there is an emphasis upon love. And it's echoing what has already really been spoken in this upper room discourse. This upper room discourse began in John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This whole section begins with the love of Christ for his disciples, for his people. Then in verses 34 and 35, he gives his disciples a new commandment. What were they to do? They were to love one another. And by this, the world, those who do not know and believe in him, by, by that the world would know that they are followers of Jesus if they love one another. And now here he speaks of their love and affection for him. If you love me. This is what they are commanded to do. They are commanded to obey look a little bit later John 15 verses 12 to 14 it says this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends 
And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Commanding them to to love each other, to love him, and to demonstrate their love with obedience. But what does it really mean to love Christ? You and I have have firsthand knowledge of what it means to, to love another human individual, to have a special affection that is directed toward another, whether that be uh, the relationship, the love between a husband and wife or a parent and child, between other extended family members, between friends. We understand uh, a small working knowledge of what it looks like to love others, but we are called to have a special and unique devotion to God. We are called and commanded to love him. And this is not a new concept that goes back to the very heart of the Old Testament. And I know we're, we're bouncing around a lot. If you turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. As God commands and instructs Israel. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. In verse 5. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is really interesting to think about. Why why does God, through Moses, command Israel to love him rather than merely just worship him? Why does he say you must love the Lord your God? And you notice what type of love are they to have for God? They're to love God with their entire being. It's to be a holistic love for God. God commands Israel to love him because if he just says, worship me, what might they do? And they can just go through the motions. They can bring the the sacrifices. They can say, I've checked off what you've commanded me to do. But there is no heart in it. Indeed, that's what the, the, the later prophets in the Old Testament are going to condemn Israel for. You're going through the motions, but there is no worship of Yahweh. If they worship, if they love God with their entire being, then they will worship as they ought. But just a command to worship is not going to drive home the reality of the inner life of worship. The love and affection for God. So a love for Christ. It means that there is a special, unique, devoted affection towards him. But, but why do we have that affection towards him? Why should we love Christ? Well, in the Old Testament, Israel was commanded to love God because of his deliverance of them from Egypt. He delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery. You see that repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. In fact, the, the preface to the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 begins with this. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God continues to remind Israel what he has done for them and their obedience to him is in response to what he has already accomplished for them. And the New Testament provides an even greater reason for believers to love God. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
1 John 3.16, By this we have known love, that he laid down his life for us. 1 John 4.19, We love because he first loved us. Galatians 2.20, my favorite verse. Paul's profession of faith, and you can hear how the love that Christ has had towards him has impacted and influenced his life. He says, I have been crucified and it is with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ understood Oh, I'm sorry, Paul understood Christ's affection towards him personally as an individual. And that had a profound impact upon the Apostle Paul. We, he was now willing to go and endure so much for the name of Jesus. That's what it looks like to be propelled by love for God. Having a, a recognition of all that God has done in love for us. That should, indeed it must, lead us to love him in return. God the Father has loved us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God demonstrates his love not only in sending of his Son, but by giving us life and breath and everything else. We owe everything to God, our Creator. He didn't have to give us life. He didn't have to, to bless us with anything. He has shown his love toward us extensively. And God the Son has loved us by willing to humble himself, to come to live a a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, and then to rise again on the third day. And all who look to him in faith are united with him, receive forgiveness for sins and reconciliation with God the Father. We ought to respond to the love of God by loving him in return. And it is, it is particularly sad when we see, just in human experience, when one person loves another and that love is not returned or reciprocated, right? We've all had that heartache and that heartbreak. For, for teenagers, that's especially hard, right? That, that first heartbreak where they loved somebody, cared for somebody, and that wasn't reciprocated. It can be more devastating when a human parent is absent or aloof from a relationship with their child. That is felt. It's even more devastating and life-altering when it comes in marriage. Sometimes that happens. And it is felt. We've been reading through the book of Hosea this month, right? It's a profound book. When you see and understand what God told the prophet Hosea to do, he says, go marry a prostitute. Go marry a woman of harlotry. And he does. And she has two other children that are not his. Then in chapter 3, God tells Hosea, go back to her. Bring her again to yourself and love her. Hosea 3.1. Then Yahweh said to me, go again and love a woman. Speaking of Gomer, his wife. Love a woman who is loved by her companion and is an adulteress. Even as Yahweh loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods. 
And we, and we if you want to enter into the, the kingdom, the, the Spirit of God has to give you life. You're not going to earn it. You can't perform open heart surgery on yourself. God has to transform you. Love cannot happen apart from a regenerated heart. And love will not happen apart from meditating upon the person and work of Jesus. Do you love someone if you never, ever think about them? Wives, what do you think? Right? If, if your husband says, I love you, but he never puts any thoughts towards you or effort in your relationship, how would you feel? Love will not happen apart from meditation upon the person and work of Christ. And if you're here this morning and you realize that you have not loved Christ as you should, and to one degree or another, that's all of us, what do we do then? We begin with confession, with the expression of a desire to repent and to turn to Christ in faithfulness. We pray for divine assistance, similar to that, that man with the, the son that, who was demon-possessed. Help my unbelief. I would encourage you, read the Psalms and pray through them. See the full range of human emotion and David in the, in the depths of despair and the other psalmists working their way back to God. I would also encourage you to memorize and meditate upon the gospel. Right now we're working through all of our growth groups of, of memorizing that little gospel card. And that's to be able to, to share the gospel at the drop of a hat, but it's also for you to meditate upon. And you have much to, to think about. It's worth your time to turn the radio off at some point when you get in the car. Don't talk on the phone. Just spend that time with the Lord. Meditate upon the truths on that little card of who God is and what he has done on your behalf. I love this quote from James Montgomery Boyce. There is only one way in which you will come to love God, and that is by coming to know and believe in his love for you. Love provokes love. If you spend time contemplating God's love towards you, you are probably going to be growing in love and affection for God. If you spend absolutely no time thinking about who Jesus is, what he has done, and how it has transformed your life, then you probably are waning in your love for him. Also encourage, right along with memorizing and meditating upon the gospel, to listen to and sing along with, with theologically rich hymns. Sing them with your family. Sing them at the top of your lungs in your car. Remember those truths. And it's amazing how songs stick with us even more so than my, my sermon outlines will, right? You can recall songs from years and years ago. I won't quiz you on my sermon from two years ago, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys have a pass there. But, but treasure theologically rich songs to remember who Jesus is and what he has done. We are... A holistic faith is going to be propelled by love. There's also a third characteristic in this little verse, that a holistic faith is proven by obedience. That's the whole point of this verse. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What is that idea of, of keeping 
to persist in obedience or to, to pay close attention to a teaching. This same word is, is used on many occasions throughout the New Testament in the Great Commission. Matthew twenty eight nineteen through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep. There's our word. Teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. First John 2, 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Another meaning of the word is to guard or to protect something. The Apostle Paul uses it when he says that I have kept the faith. But what is it that a Christian is to keep? What are we to to pay close attention to? What is it that we are called to obey? It is the commandments of Christ. Which means, what is it that you have to know if you're going to obey them? You have to know what Christ has commanded. Spiritual growth begins with knowledge. Then you need to wrestle with, do I really believe that Christ is commanding me to do this? And that this is for my benefit, for my blessing, and then am I willing to submit my life to it? We have to know the commandments, and then we must obey the commandments. If Christ is our Lord and our Master, then we will obey all that He has given to us. And really, our actions, our obedience will reveal who and what we are following after, who and what we are truly worshiping. If we claim to be Christians, our obedience will glorify Christ and firmly prove that we belong to him. Indeed, obedience to Christ is one of the greatest assurances in the Christian life. How do you know that you know and are following Jesus, that you are following him and obeying him? If if you are uh, disobedient to what Christ commands, that brings doubts, that raises questions in your own heart and in the minds of others. And it will be a reproach upon you and upon the name of Jesus. Imagine if you found out that some neighborhood kid, your local Dennis the Menace, has been going around your, your neighborhood, knocking over trash cans, kicking down fences, causing havoc. Imagine that he has told the neighborhood that he's a part of your family. Right? He's going, causing chaos. He's, oh yeah, I'm a part of that household. What are you going to want to do? I need to go set the record straight. Where's Dennis the Menace? Uh, and I need to, to let the neighborhood know as well. I'm not with him. That kid doesn't belong to me. That's not my son. I don't know whose son that is, but you better come get him. That's what we need to, to wrestle with and understand. What, what is Jesus going to do if we're claiming his name and running around the city profaning his name? See, that's the real emphasis behind the third commandment. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Don't claim to be following God. Don't claim to be following Christ and then profane his name. Your disobedience or your obedience will have a profound witness to those around us. And our obedience will demonstrate our love and love will also grow as we walk in obedience to Jesus. 
right? The first time that you, you sought to obey a command, was it easy or was it difficult? Usually it's really hard, right? The, the Lord is like slowly prying your fingers off of something in your life. You're like, I can hold it. Uh, but he says, no, no, let it go. And initially that's really, really difficult. But over time, what happens? Well, we see the, the wisdom of letting go. Well, when I cling to this sin, life gets much, much harder. But when I let it go and lay it down at the foot of the cross and I take up my cross and follow Jesus, life is a lot easier. That's what we begin to see and to realize. And our love is going to grow as we walk in obedience. But the same is going to be true for the things of this world. If we love the things in this world we will begin to obey them. And we will get a a vice grip on those things. Because where your heart is, your your feet are going to follow. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Apostle John understood this. So many parallels between what is being said here and the the letter of 1 John. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Jesus is calling us to a holistic faith. He wants us to have a faith in him that is properly connected. That every aspect of our lives, every aspect of our being uh, is in submission to him. The head, the heart, and the hands. He wants us to have a holistic faith that is propelled by love for him. And then we're going to obey him, yes, out of obligation, but also out of joy. We, we understand that we are obligated because he has saved us. He gave his life to rescue us from the wrath of the Father. So there is a responsibility for us to respond rightly to that sacrifice. But we also do that with joy. And we are willing to obey him. And that demonstrates our love. A few weeks back, my, my younger son, William, has been talking about this concept for, for a long time with my boys. And he looks at me, he says, Dada, God's my favorite, but I still like you. Right? Like, okay, he's, he's starting to understand that he needs to love God even more than he loves me. On another occasion, sitting at the, the dinner table, my younger son says, I love God a million. My older son says, I love God a billion with a B. That's what happens as a homeschool family when you talk about both math and theology at the table. And, and it warmed my heart to, to hear those things. But, but right after that, I said, sons, it's really, really easy. Really easy just to say the words, I love God really easy to say, I love God a million, or I love God a billion with a B. That's easy. 
But Jesus says we will know if we really love him, if we obey him. Do you truly love Jesus? Don't don't give me an answer. Don't even answer it in your heart. Look at your life. There's your answer. And do you like the answer that you see? Do you like the answer that you see written in your thoughts, in your pursuits, in your day-to-day, moment-by-moment choices? That's what we need to examine. Then we need to keep in mind it's never too late or too early to run to Jesus, to confess those ways that we have not obeyed, where we have not loved and cherished him in spite of all that he has done. We can, we can run to him, confess all of the sinfulness, all of the selfishness, all of the ugliness in our life, and he will forgive. He died so that you could be forgiven for that. Won't you run to him? We all need to. And we need to look and examine our lives for the true answer of whether or not we love Jesus. Not merely giving lip service, not merely yes, but wait, let me, let me examine where my heart is. Amen? Let's pray.